0: each person, as we minister to each other as a fellowship here, it's just not one thing fits all. We're all believers in Jesus Christ. We're all saved the very same way, but we're all individuals and we all function differently and we all think differently in a sense. And we have all of our own weaknesses and stuff. And so we come alongside remembering that. So we come alongside, I believe, as a brother willing to exhort, as a sister willing to exhort, to admonish, not to reprimand in that sense, but to really the idea, the goal is to lift that person up, to strengthen their walk with the Lord.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Do in your life, can get pain
0: and get strife. All you gotta do is let go and let Hopefully we'll close out the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, the last several verses, verses 12 through 28. We've been in the book for um, a couple of months now, going through it. Uh, We've had a good study uh, through this book, and what we have here in the close of the letter is 23 exhortations and four blessings, as I count them, that Paul gives to his church there, and really some things he just liked to see them implementing and doing in their lives. Some are positive, some are negative, and Paul is talking to the church, as we know through all Scripture that's given to all the churches, all the body of Christ, and so As he's specifically at the time thinking of them, the Holy Spirit was working in him saying, you know, there's going to be a church in Lake Villa and they're going to be studying through this book and there's some things I want you to put in there for them too. And, you know, he's targeting that individual church, but also I believe targeting us as we look through this. And there could be some areas as we would say today that I need to take Paul's exhortation and need to straighten out some areas in my life, perhaps do things better in my life, just trying to draw closer to our Lord. So what I'd like us to do is read through it to get the context, and then we'll open in prayer, ask God to bless the Word, and get into the teaching. Beginning in verse 12, it says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly. Comfort those or are the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle should be read to all the holy brethren. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And Father, we ask that your grace would be with us and your spirit this morning, to help us, Lord, just to receive from your word that which you would have for us this day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now we exhort you, verse 14, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. And so he's now giving them exhortation. And, and we've used, seen this word before. It's been used a couple of times in this epistle in chapter 2, verse 11. How we exhorted you and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God. And so we get this picture of dad ministering to his children. This exhortation. In chapter four, verse one, he said, Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And so this exhorting, it talks about our conduct, but it's always looking to the future. And so Paul now is exhorting once again, let's look to the future. And, and as a church, the future of this fellowship I want to see you guys warn those who are unruly. One of the ways that we can warn is through the teaching of the Word of God. Sometimes you might just have to take someone aside, you might have to write them a note, and actually go to that person and deal with something. I'm not a great person for confrontation. In the business world, as a a foreman for a masonry outfit, you would have to at times, and so I can rise to the occasion. And I can go head to head with guys if I have to, but there is that warning, those who are unruly. There are those who are walking in a rebellion against the Lord. If they're believers, they definitely need to be warned. There's a danger there. And there are times that Lily and I and and we'll have people, you know, and and they're telling us their plans for their life, and we're thinking, you know, why don't you pray about this? You need to just kind of settle down a minute and they're going to move out of the area and start a new life somewhere else. And we've seen it happen so often to where that's just not God's will for their life. Sometimes it is, but other times it may not be. And especially in a new believer, we will tell them, look, it'd be better if you would establish yourself in the word of God and strengthen yourself in your walk before you make that move. It could be that the Lord is calling you, but... Make sure you're grounded in his word first. No, no, we'll be fine. And and we give warning. It's not that anyone has to listen, but we'll give the warning. It could be a job change, and, and we've it's almost been prophetical. I'll warn. Guys switching careers and I, I see some dangers there and say so you're gonna have to watch out for this. And and then watch the dangers unfold, just as I said they would. And lives get wrecked. And so we give warning. Could be to a brother, could be to an unbeliever. Paul said to the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, 31, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. Paul was a guy that would give warnings. Now this is spoke about people who would come in afterwards, those like savage wolves, those who would come in and speak perverse things, trying to draw the church over to themselves. But also for those who are not walking morally as they should according to the word. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, he still deals with this. And he says, But we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the traditions he has received from us. So those who are not walking as they should, they even take it to the point saying, look, don't fellowship with those people anymore. Because Paul, why is he warning? He's, he knows that perhaps they will drag you down. They're already walking away from the Lord. They're already walking against God's standards. And we realize that if we continue in, in fellowship, in communion, where, hey, they're a brother in the Lord. Yeah, they have some things going on that they can pull us down. And so there's a danger there. So he says to warn but also to comfort the faint-hearted, literally means little-spirited. Hey, their spirit is, we think of a new believer, their spirit is just not strong yet. Sometimes new believers have a stronger spirit than those of us who have been believers for a long time, and they need to help us out. But those whose spirits, little-spirited, they just need someone to come alongside and to strengthen them. We picture that of the work of the Holy Spirit, the paracletus, means to come alongside and we are to be those. In Romans fifteen one, Paul says, "Then we who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak." Hey, we're to bear up one another in that way. Not just to warn the unruly and to comfort the faint-hearted, but to uphold the weak. Those who are without strength, the weak here is without strength. They don't have strength, and it could be mentally. They're just not growing up in their faith yet, uh, meaning without knowledge or it could be physically, they're just not strong. And, and they really need someone to come alongside to help strengthen them in their life and in their walk with the Lord. And we have that reminder of Paul from 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And I believe that The importance here is as you come alongside a weak brother or sister, in this sense, they just need to be strengthened. Well, you don't come alongside as someone overbearing, overruling in strength. Come on, slap them on the back, you know. You come alongside as the weak, and you come alongside to comfort and to lift them up and to strengthen them. Each person, as we minister to each other as a fellowship here, It's just not one thing fits all. We're all believers in Jesus Christ. We're all saved the very same way, but we're all individuals. And we all function differently, and we all think differently in a sense, and we have all of our own weaknesses and stuff. And so we come alongside remembering that. So we come alongside, I believe, as a brother willing to exhort, as a sister willing to exhort, to admonish, not to reprimand in that sense, but to really the idea, the goal is to lift that person up, to strengthen their walk with the Lord. Keep yourself in mind. He said, also to be patient with all. That word for patience is long-suffering. 1 Corinthians thirteen four. love suffers long. Agape suffers long. We're to be at peace with one another. We're to love this way of agape love, which has been talked about in this epistle but to realize that agape is long-suffering. You know, when I said I was called into ministry, and it was 11 years until I was ordained as a pastor, there are guys who have called, and they never suffer long enough to get to that place of ordination because it, it can get taxing. You just kind of get wore out wondering, what's up? Did I hear right, Lord? It could be that in any of our lives in many different circumstances. And so when we come alongside We need to come alongside with this attitude of long-suffering. This attitude that the Lord has toward us. 1 Peter 3, 9, you guys know this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises toward us, but as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, and we're to have that same long-suffering attitude toward those, toward all. He said, be patient with all. Now, when all, I think there is that both you who are in the church and you who are outside the church. And sometimes we're not like that. And it's how the world views us as a fellowship. It hurts. Verse 15, he says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. I think, again, that is for yourselves as believers within the fellowship, but and for all for everyone who's outside of the fellowship. What are you doing? Well, you're not rendering evil for evil. Back in the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Man, buddy, I'm going to get even with you. And this was really grace as God had Moses implement this into the law. What it used to be in the Old Testament, in many cases, was life for an eye, life for a tooth. They would not just try to get even. They were going beyond what was just. But in the New Testament, the Lord said in Matthew five thirty eight, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Ooh, difficult. My defenses just naturally will rise up if you smack me. You might get smacked back because my flesh is going to want to respond. And so this has got to be beyond our flesh, doesn't it? My dad, I've been talking about him a little bit this morning, but on this portion of Scripture, my dad would say, the Lord says to turn the right cheek and doesn't say anything we have to do after that. And so basically he said, let him have two smacks. But after that, you're on your own. But <laughs> turn the other cheek also. If he wants to sue you, let him take your tunic. Give him your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. And I I don't believe Jesus was saying to us, we need to be people who are always allowing others to take advantage of us, but we need to be people who are willing to go the extra mile. There needs to be a difference about the church that we don't respond like other people in the world that don't have Christ. There needs to be this difference. And so often there isn't. There isn't a difference. They don't see the difference in you. They don't see the difference in me. And so therefore, the testimony of Jesus Christ isn't being lived out to its fullest as it should be. Render evil for evil. No, we're not to do that. Not to anyone. And, you know, the flesh can have that mindset, oh, I'm going to get even with you. And Paul's saying, no, don't do that. We are not to do that. I received this email. I thought it was interesting and it began by saying, in case we find ourselves starting to believe the, all the anti-American sentiment and negativity, we should remember England's Prime Minister, Tony Blair, words during a recent interview. When asked by one of his parliament members why he believes so much in America, he said a simple way to measure a country is to look at how many want in and how many want out. Now, here, I don't know if this is Tony or not. It goes on to say, Only two defining forces have ever offered to die for you, Jesus Christ and the American GIs. One died for your souls, the other for your freedom. Now, I may not totally agree with the freedom part. Jesus has done that too. We have liberty in Christ Jesus. But I believe the mindset of the USA and our willing to sacrifice for other nations has been for these past hundred years, and even now we have men and women in service, is because of Christ's sacrifice for this nation and the realization of that, that has been driven into the nation. Now, as we separate ourselves from the Lord, well, now we have people saying, I'm not sure we should be involved in that. Just let people live and live. And and they're trying to isolate us out. They're wanting us to pull out, not to police the world. But there's a lot of arguments. I really don't want to go into the arguments of that, but to say that we have been for so many years a nation that have been willing to sacrifice for others, not rendering evil for evil. Now, we have those who would do that within the nation. We know that. But overall, as a majority, this nation still has a heart for God. And we may not see it, but it was made evidence at 9-11 when that event happened. There were two tents set up side by side at Ground Zero. One was for mental health care professionals. Psychiatrists and stuff. The other was chaplaincy. 80% of the people went to the chaplains, 20% to the healthcare professionals. See, when push comes to shove, people are still reaching out and searching out for God. That's a good sign. I believe the longer we distance ourselves from the Lord, eventually that will continue to turn around to where there'll be less people looking and searching out for the Lord. But we've had this great heritage. And we as a people of Christ are not to render evil for evil, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. And so we're not to render evil for evil to anyone, both the believer and the unbeliever, but we're to always pursue what is good for yourselves and for all. Always pursue what is good. Our conscience, the word of God dictates this in our life. We know those things we should be doing. And Paul is reminding this church here and us, hey, you know what the Lord's called you to do, do that. But it's not just for the believers, but it's for everyone. Pursue what is right, pursue what is good. What better testimony could we have as a church than to do that? Pursuing what is right, pursuing what is good. I believe in the day and age that we live in today, this is a line that's being crossed both ways, but I still believe that a man should be a man, and a woman should be a woman. And as men, we may respond to things differently. Pursuing what is good doesn't mean that you are a wimp. It means you're doing right, doing just, or justly in your conduct. Sometimes that is defending the helpless, defending the weak, coming alongside the to be that strength that they're not at this time that's pursuing good to fend off uh evil against someone you may find yourself in that place i shocked my family on a sunday night might not want to go out to pizza but it was a popular thing that my folks loved to do after church on sunday nights every sunday night they would gather a group of people and and we'd go out for the local pizza place and just got to know the people there but this particular night It was just our family, and we were at a pizza hut in Zion. And while we were there, nothing against the sailors, but there was a couple of sailors who were just gaping at my 14-year-old niece. And her dad wasn't there. They were behind me, and I could see the whole table was uncomfortable. They were tense. We were there long anyways. The order was bad. We eventually, uh, I don't know if we stayed or not, I know there was problems with just the service there that night, other than this, but these guys were drunk and they were gaping at a 14-year-old, and I was thinking, "You know, her dad's not here." And it was just me and my dad. And my dad had heart conditions, and he was a big man, six, two, but uh, you know, he had, at this stage in his life had weakened down, and I, I've always wished I was a big man, and I'm getting bigger as I grow older, but not in the way I wish. <laughs> But, you know, little guy usually, but I was thinking, you know, her dad's not here. Who's going to defend her? And so at one point, to the shock of my whole family, I turned around and I told those guys, get your eyes off this table and on your own table. And they were just like, you know, wood, you know, and all this stuff was going on. And suddenly my dad got into it too. And so me and my buddy was joking later that, you know, pastor and his son got in a fight at pizza hut. (laughs) But in my mind, I was ready to defend. I said, if you slap me, you might get slapped back because it's just a reaction that I have, and especially to protect those who are needing protection. Don't mess with our kids and children's ministry. (laughs) I won't take it well. We want to be that people who, who doesn't render evil, but there is justice, and there is good, and sometimes Good is justice, and it plays out seemingly in a harsh way. You know, it's really that living at peace among yourselves that's found there in verse 13. To be at peace among each other. The idea is to support one another, whether it's your pastor in ministry and loving him and esteeming him as you should. To be honest, I've seen it on all sides. I'm a PK, I'm a pastor's kid person who wouldn't want to get into ministry perhaps would be one that was raised up in the ministry because you see the hardships there and i i marvel more now at my parents than i did when i was growing up through it just to realize the grace that they had as they went through and so they'd been an example for me but it's not just my parents being an example but it's us being an example for each other to be that brethren and it's a word that's been repeated over and over again brethren just talking to the fellowship here to be those who are willing to warn, those who are willing to comfort, those who are willing to uphold, those who are willing to be patient, those who are willing to do good. And so it all comes back to having Jesus in your life. That's the first necessary step. Jesus is our ultimate example of what it means to love each other, what it means not to render evil. Two others, but when he was hanging on the cross and was crucified, it's Rob's fault. I started getting emotional in one of the songs earlier. (laughs) But what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. One day the Lord will return in justice, but until that day, there is this opportunity for fellowship. You don't have to receive the judgment of God, He has made available His salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it all begins with the Lord. It all starts there. And so we'll close. I, Rob, why don't you just come out and close us out with a song. As the Lord has directed you and pricked your heart today, perhaps, perhaps you want prayer, and there's, you can come down and just kneel down and pray and ask the Lord to, to work in your life, in your heart. You can come and ask me to pray with you, and I will. But as the Lord leads us now at this time, I'll be down front for you. Father, I ask that you would be with us. Thank you for your word. How simple it is, and the truths that are found there are so rich and so deep. Lord, help us to get a hold of it. We have failed in many ways, but you have never failed. You are always faithful. And Lord, we turn to you now once again and ask you to work in our hearts and in our midst this day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ.